Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. Joining me is Jacques Beau. He is a former Swiss intelligence officer and NATO advisor. Jacques, thank you for joining me once again. Thank you for inviting me to your show. Thank you. It's good to see you. So what is your reaction to uh, Putin's announcement escalating the invasion, calling up some 300,000 uh, reservist troops, threatening to use uh, nuclear weapons if the territorial integrity of Russia, in his words, is threatened? Well, first of all, we have to be careful with the wording. Uh, I, I will come on the, specifically on the uh, nuclear weapons uh, uh, later. But uh, starting with the, um, the, the partial mobilization, uh, actually it makes sense. And that's more or less the logic follow up uh, after uh, what, what has been uh, um, scheduled, I would say, in the, in the Donbass, in the Southern region of, of Ukraine, and namely the referendums of uh, in uh, Kherson, Zaporozhye, uh, Donetsk, and Lugansk oblasts. Um, if we uh, admit that these referendum will accept uh, these oblasts joining the Russian Federation, then that would mean that the Russian Federation will add almost thousand kilometers to the border to their border, the actual border. So that means that that requires new uh, uh, forces to ensure the security on that border, especially in, uh, in Ukraine, since uh, you have currently a war. So for me, it's not a real surprise to have uh, uh, the, the need for additional manpower uh, uh, to, this, um, uh, to, to the, the current situation. We also have to say, and uh, I think it's important to, to, to say that these uh, 300,000 uh, uh, mobilized uh, soldier will not necessarily be on the front line, but are more there to support or to help supporting the forces that are actually deployed in the southern part of Ukraine. Um, <clears throat> So it's, uh, it's, it's basically uh, to, uh, to have more freedom of movement uh, for the Russian forces in the southern part of, of Ukraine. But it makes uh, uh, perfectly sense if we consider that these referendum will probably be uh, uh, accepted. The reason why they will be they might be accepted is twofold. The, the first one is that the um, Ukrainian government asked in uh, or I would say ordered in during the summer order its population to to leave these oblasts, meaning that the population that is uh, uh, currently in these oblasts are most probably pro-Russian uh, uh, individuals, meaning that uh, they probably, uh, uh, you have a majority of individuals that will accept joining the, the Russia. So the second aspect is that uh, during, uh, or since 2014, uh, the whole southern part of Ukraine is uh, in basically, or feel like in under occupation, if you want, in 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 um, in Ukraine, uh, especially because of the laws regarding the language, but also you you have several uh, laws that nobody talks about in the West, but the 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 famous uh, law on the rights of indigenous population that was. Um, adopted in July uh, 2021. And uh, according to this law, uh, popula indigenous population of Ukraine, among which you have not the Russians, have different rights. So it's, it's, a, it's a law that looks, it's not exactly the same, but it, it has some similarities with the, 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 the infamous uh, Nuremberg laws uh, that uh, you had uh, by uh, Nazi Germany in 1935, um, giving different rights 
to the citizens depending on their ethnic origin. And so that's why uh, since 2014, and especially uh, uh, in the last couple of years, the sudden, the Russian speaking part of Ukraine doesn't feel like a, 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 a normal citizen, if you want. They, they are second class citizens. That's why they, and that's also why you, you, we, we haven't really seen any resistance movement developing in a, a, a zone that were occupied by Russian forces or so. You, the, the population, in, in fact, accept rather well the, the arrival of, of, the, of the Russians. So we can expect for those two reasons, yeah, there are probably others, but for those two main reasons, we may expect that this referendum will probably be accepted, meaning that the, the, it's likely that the Russian Federation will extend uh, 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 through the southern part of, um, of Ukraine. Now, as to the, the nuclear weapons, um, all Western media have stated that uh, Putin threatened the use of nuclear weapons. This is wrong. Uh, if we go to the original wording and the transcript of the wording of what Putin actually said, he didn't say that he will use nuclear weapons. However, he mentioned that Western leaders have mentioned the use of nuclear weapons against Russia, and namely uh, Liz Truss, the uh, current uh, uh, British uh, Prime Minister. You'll be ushered into a room very privately at number 10. We'll be laid out in front of you what are called the letters of last resort. Your orders to our Trident boat captain on whether you, Prime Minister Liz Truss, is giving the order to unleash our nuclear weapons. It would mean global annihilation. I won't ask you, would you press the button? You will say yes. But faced with that task, I would feel physically sick. How does that thought make you feel? I think it's an important duty of the Prime Minister. I'm ready to do that. I asked how it would make you feel. I'm, I'm ready to do it. Who stated end of August, if I remember, maybe the 24th of August or something like that, she said she would be ready to use uh, nuclear weapons uh, against Russia and that uh, the, the, the starting a, a nuclear war would be justified against Russia. And of course, this is a source of concern for the Russians. The Russians on the side uh, have a no first use policy about nuclear weapons and nothing indicates that they will uh, uh, divert from that policy. Uh, I open here a parenthesis and, and uh, remember or want to remind you that uh, uh, the US had a no first use policy until April this year, but Joe Biden early April this year revoked that policy. And now the US has a first use policy. I mean, not has first use policy, but it means that US can use nuclear weapons uh, uh, in, in first instance, which is totally new in, uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the US strategy. And nobody mentioned that, but that explains also why uh, Vladimir Putin is so keen to insist on the risk of uh, nuclear war. Um, as to the weapons he would use, uh, he didn't mention at all the use of nuclear weapons and he mentioned other weapons. And in fact, he was uh, uh, mentioning, I mean, he didn't mention explicitly, but we can, uh, uh, we know that they, they have uh, so hypersonic uh, uh, um, missiles that can defeat most, if not all, uh, the uh, anti-ballistic missile uh, defense that the West has. So the, that's, that's what he, he, he threatened the use of. 
So that's, that's this kind of, of, of missile. And I just want to remind you that very recently, in those days, it, it just, uh, um, the, the, the Russians uh, made, made public their new missile, the new Sarmat, uh, which is one of the, the, the strongest and, and the most powerful missile we have that can uh, launch several independently uh, um, uh, guided warheads that can reach almost every single point in the world. So that's probably not a coincidence when Putin says so, because he, he wants to indicate that if the West wants to go nuclear, uh, he has the proper response, but not necessarily a nuclear response. They have enough uh, tools to do that without going nuclear. So on Biden's policy, you are correct in the uh, in the defense review strategy, uh, the uh, nuclear posture review that was put out earlier this year by Biden. It says that the U.S. quote would only consider the use of nuclear weapons in extreme circumstances to defend the vital interests of the U.S. or its allies and partners, unquote. And that you're right is walking back no first use, which says that the U.S. will not use nuclear weapons first. You're correct. But when it comes to Putin, I mean, didn't he say that we would consider using nuclear weapons if the territorial integrity of Russia is threatened? I believe those were his words. And so couldn't that be interpreted to mean that, say, if the territorial of integrity, which would presumably include these uh, newly annexed regions of Ukraine, is threatened that then Russia would use nuclear weapons? Well, here... Again, I come to the words that were used by Putin. Now, you're perfectly right uh, uh, indicating that. In the, the main consequence of the, these referendums, by extending, in fact, Russia's border to Ukraine, it makes those, those oblasts territories of Ukraine, meaning uh, of Russia. That means that from now on, or right, not right now, but after the referendum, from that point, when Ukraine attacks a city in Kherson or near Kherson or so, it will attack a Russian city. And if, let's say, the US provides long-range missiles or whatever, that will reach the Russian territory, which is what, uh, if I take the French terminology, this is the, the territory which is sanctuarized. That means that, that if, if you, you reach or if you touch this territory, you can, uh, uh, you can uh, uh, have a response that is uh, uh, of, of existential nature, if you want. And although Putin didn't mention that explicitly, the fact that the southern part of Ukraine becomes Russian in itself contains the risk of uh, 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 Russia using nuclear weapons. But and that's that's in the doctrine. That's in the in the in the in the Russian doctrine. It, it it's basically Putin has not doesn't need to say it uh, now because this was part already uh, of, uh, of the doctrine last year or two years, 10 years ago. So nothing new on that. The only difference, difference is that now the, the border is, is, is longer, the, the, the Russian territory is larger. But <clears throat> so of course there is a risk of, of, uh, of um, Russia using these uh, the nuclear weapons. But again, uh, in the, the doctrine, the, 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 the Russians don't use, uh, for instance, nuclear weapons at tactical level uh, because they have other type of weapons to answer uh, 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 an attack uh, such as hypersonic missiles and things like that, or very long-range missiles, so they can give a, a, a substantive response without going nuclear. That's that's a that's an important point. Uh, 
Okay. So that means that even if the Russian territory or the new Russian territory is uh, uh, touched, Russia still has instruments to respond without without going directly into a nuclear uh, without going nuclear di directly. Got it. Okay. On the outcome of these. Uh referendums that are being held uh, in four regions of uh, Ukraine. Is it a given that, assuming that these referendums uh, vote to join Russia, is it a given that Russia will take these territories? Or as uh, Anatole Levin, who's a journalist and uh, fellow at the Quincy Institute, he's proposed that Putin actually could use these referendum votes as bargaining chips and basically say to the West that, if you accept what you've been rejecting all along, which is neutrality for Ukraine, implementing the Minsk Accords, accepting that Crimea is now Russian, then I will not annex these territories. I will not accept the outcome of these votes, which there's a precedent for because for the last eight years, uh, Russia and Putin did not accept uh, the uh, breakaway Donbass regions and claiming to be independent. He was trying to get the U.S. and Ukraine to implement the Minsk Accord. So is it possible that it's not too late for Putin to just say, if you if you accept Minsk or some form of Minsk, the peace accords, and you accept our other demands when it comes to security guarantees and Ukraine not joining NATO, then I will not uh, annex these territories despite the votes of the people living there? Well, yes. And, and, and of course, when we talk about this referendum, we have, we have to be more specific. I mean, if we talk about Donetsk and Lugansk uh, uh, regions or oblasts, they are, they are already independent, technically. Mm. Uh, that means that for them, the referendum is, is not about being independent, but it's about joining Russia, yes or no. For the two other oblasts, Kherson and Zaporozhye, formally, they still belong to Ukraine. And that means that there will be different questions asked to the population. The first one is, do you want to leave Ukraine? Yes or no? That's the first question. Then if, if you want to leave uh, uh, Ukraine, do you want to be independent? Yes or no. And if you want to be independent, then do you want to join the Russian Federation? Yes or no. And there are some unknown factors also because what is not clear, and I haven't seen the, the, the question asked to the, the populations, but something, what, what should be, uh, what to join Russia, if I can put it that way, meaning that Zaporozhye, for instance, or Kherson, um, the, 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 in the current situation, only part of those oblasts are occupied by the Russian or Russian coalition. There is still a, 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 a big part that is under Ukrainian control. So if we talk about the joining Russia, do they mean only the part which is currently occupied by the Russian coalition, or do they mean the whole territory of, of these oblasts, which would mean that, that the, the, the war is far from over because even after joining uh, Russia, that means that they still have to conquer the, the the rest of the oblast. So that's that's a, a, a first uh, a question that is important, and I don't have uh, any question. I don't know if anybody has the the, the, the answer to that at this stage. And, and of course, as you said, just coming directly to your question, whether of or, or not Russia would accept that, uh, this is a good question. I I have the feeling that when I heard what was said by Vladimir Putin in his speech, that they are, they are ready to, to, to go along with, with the idea of, of, uh, of a joint. But again, uh, is that a, 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 a tactical position and that they may use that in negotiation? Although I am not sure that this will be, uh, you know, in a negotiation, I'm not sure that this this region like uh, Zaporozhye and Kherson that they would return to Ukraine. So the question is whether they, they become independent 
or joining Russia. But I, I think there is no question at this stage that this region would return to Ukraine. And I think even the population may not want that because what we have seen recently is the fear of the local population about possible uh, uh, um, retortions. I don't know if it's a proper word in English, but uh, 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 that the, the kind of revenge uh, uh, of the, the Ukrainian government against the population who collaborated with the, uh, with the Russians, meaning that those areas that are currently uh, uh, occupied, let's say, by the uh, Russian coalition, uh, I'm not sure they will, they will return to, to, to Ukraine in, in, in some kind of form. They will remain either independent or joining Russia. That's my feeling. Uh, one aspect of Vladimir Putin's speech that's gotten close to no attention in the U.S., it's been mentioned a couple of times, for example, by uh, David Ignatius, who's a columnist for the Washington Post, but otherwise it's been ignored. And that is when Putin said, uh, and he said he was making this public for the first time, that Ukraine and Russia were very, very close to a peace agreement back in March, uh, but that, in his words, Ukraine was ordered to wreck any compromise uh, by the West. I want to say that publicly for the first time, after the start of the special military operation, also at the Istanbul negotiations, um, uh, there was a very positive reaction to our proposals concerning ensuring the security of Russia. But it was obvious that the West was not happy with a peaceful decision. So after reaching certain compromises, they effectively were given a direct um, order to undermine the negotiations. Are you familiar uh, with the details of this? And, and by the yes. way, I should say also that, that Fiona Hill, who is a former White House expert, also recently corroborated this by saying in foreign affairs that U.S. officials knew that there was the outline of a peace agreement between Ukraine and Russia. It was basically premised on Russia returning to its pre-invasion lines. And in exchange, Ukraine declares neutrality and um, recognizes uh, Russian control of uh, the Russian-speaking regions of Ukraine, certain ones, not, not all of them, obviously. Uh, and Ukraine receives security guarantees from the West. But now Hill left out. What Putin said, and was also being reported in Ukrainian media, that the West refused to support these agreements. Absolutely, and that's that's in my book. Actually, it's my last in my last book, Operation Z, and that I mentioned that already in my previous book. Uh, no, I, that's that's wrong. Only in this book, I, I mentioned that. the 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 fact is that you had three uh, attempts to have an agreement so far between uh, Russia and Ukraine. The first one uh, started at the request of Zelensky on the 25th of February, so just one day after the, the, the start of the offensive, and Zelensky asked to have a negotiation with the, uh, with the Russians. And you had a first uh, 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 round of negotiation that started at the Belarus border. And this was stopped in fact, by European Union. The European Union, two days after the, the Zelensky request, the European Union came with the first package of weapons. That was a package of 450 uh, million uh, euros for weapons. And with, with the idea that it should not be negotiated with, with uh, Vladimir Putin, we should just fight. And in March, you had exactly the same scenario. Zelensky uh, approached the, the Russians with this, uh, this offer. And um, two days after he made his offer to the, to, the, to the Russians, by the way, the European Union came again, exactly the same thing as the first time. Again, the, the European Union came with the a second package of uh, 500 million euros for weapons. And in addition to that, Boris Johnson called um, Zelensky to ask him to withdraw 
is offered. Yeah. Otherwise, all the supports will be cut. And Boris Johnson came to Kiev a few days later and reiterated that, uh, what, what he just said. That means no negotiations, otherwise we cut all, uh, uh, all offers. And he came with, with uh, something that 50 million, I may, I may be wrong on this, but I, I think he came with, with a new offer on, on, on for weapons. And that was reported by Ukrainian media. In fact, I, in my book, I mention only Ukrainian sources, and Ukrainian uh, uh, sources said explicitly that Boris Johnson and the West uh, uh, basically prevented a peace agreement. So that's not an invention from some uh, 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 Putin, <laughs> Putin. Uh, uh, um, partisan here in, in, in the West, it is, that's also what the Ukrainian felt. And you had a third occasion when that happened, that was in August when you had this meeting between Erdogan and, uh, and Zelensky in Lviv. And uh, here again, uh, Erdogan offered its services, his services, to mediate some uh, negotiation with, um, uh, with the Russians. And just a few days after that, Boris Johnson came unexpectedly in Kiev. And again, in a, in a, in a very famous uh, um, a press conference, he said explicitly, no negotiation with the Russians. We have to fight. There is no room for negotiation with the Russians. So uh, on three occasions, in fact, the West prevented any uh, negotiation with, uh, with, the, uh, uh, with, with the Russians. And in, in April, as you mentioned, that was probably the most uh, developed uh, um, offer by, by Zelensky. And it was, it was a very comprehensive offer and included including uh, uh, neutrality of, of, uh, of Ukraine and the, the stash, uh, stationing of troops under supervision of, of, uh, of uh, uh, external powers, including Russia. So it was a very extensive agreement, actually. And, and the Russians were very positive about, about this agreement. But again, it, as you just said, it didn't move, move ahead. So, no, the, 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 it's clear, and I think uh, Lindsey Graham also <laughs> said uh, uh, in, a, in, a, in a press conference also he said that the Ukrainians have to fight to the last Ukrainian. Four months into this thing, I like the structural path we're on here. As long as we help Ukraine with the weapons they need and the economic support, they will fight to the last person. So I think we, we are in, in the dynamic that the problem is not the victory of Ukraine, it's the defeat of Russia. That's exactly what the West is aiming at. We don't, and that's what disturbs me, and that's exactly what I say in my book. The, the problem is that nobody cares about Ukraine, in fact. We have, we have just in, in, instrumentalized uh, uh, Ukraine for the purpose of strategic, uh, US strategic interests, not even European interests, by the way. So that means that even the Europeans, uh, and, and we see today with the, with the, 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 the emerging uh, uh, energy and economic crisis, that the European have absolutely no interest in that, in that conflict. And it serves more the U.S. interest, and I'm not sure it, it serves them very uh, uh, intelligently, but <laughs> that's what <laughs> apparently the White House think. Um, but and that's that's the, the that's the problem. We we don't care about the the, the Ukraine. The, the aim, the initial aim of that conflict was to provoke Russia in order to be able to destroy its economy through sanctions. The problem is that these sanctions didn't work 
And Ukraine, Ukraine didn't expect to fight so long. Mm. They expected to, to, to have a very short battle, but the, that Russia would crumble almost immediately. And that, in fact, they would get it. And if you, if you see the, uh, the interview of Alexei Arestovich of uh, March 2019, that's exactly what he says. In fact... And, and who is he, sorry? Oh, uh, Alexei Arestovich is uh, the, an advisor to Zelensky, a very close friend of Zelensky, is one of his closest advisor. And he made, just before uh, Zelensky was elected in March 2019, uh, you can see that interview on the um, on YouTube, if you, if you if you want, and in 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 that interview, he says that Ukraine will be will will have a war with you with Russia, with the aim of defeating Russia, and the defeat of Russia will be the entry ticket for Ukraine to NATO. And he says even that this war uh, against Russia would happen in 2021, 2022. Uh, so that was uh, was absolutely clear that the, this this was was planned. But the idea was that Russia would, would crumble so fast that there would be no war. And what we are witnessing today is that against any expectation, uh, uh, Russia didn't crumble and continued to fight. And today, the, the victim of this miscalculation, in fact, is Ukraine. And now we are trying to, to, to push this conflict and to weaken Russia politically more than military uh, through an extended conflict, try to, to have a, a kind of protracted conflict that leads nowhere, just to weaken politically Russia to add, and we have added uh, 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 sanctions over sanctions over sanctions without any result. And the, the West is in fact, a uh, victim of its own miscalculation in that. So this is this is a, a very unfortunate for 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 Ukraine in, in reality. Yeah, there was even uh, a rare acknowledgement in the New York Times recently, uh, citing U.S. officials that they fear that the worst has yet to come for Ukraine, but yet they're still continuing with the same policy. Let me read it for you. This is what the New York Times reported. Some American officials express concern that the most dangerous moments are yet to come, even as Putin has avoided escalating the war in ways that have at times baffled Western officials. He has made only limited attempts to destroy critical infrastructure or to target Ukrainian government buildings. So that's the New York Times reporting that Western officials are baffled at how Putin has so far avoided escalating the war and they point out as an example that he has uh, made very limited attempts to destroy infrastructure in Ukraine, as opposed to the US, which, I mean, we know from recent history, when they go into Iraq, for example, that's the first thing they target is infrastructure, um, you know, water plants, bridges. You, uh, Russia didn't do that. But my question to you now, though, is after, you know, seven months of this, do you think now for Russia, the gloves come off? Is Russia's invasion going to get more brutal and more destructive to Ukrainian infrastructure? No, I don't think so. I mean, we have to remember that the objectives of the Russians were clearly defined. That was demilitarization and denazification. The denazification objective was uh, 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 taken away in May after the taking of Mariupol. And that was said by, I don't know, but some uh, uh, Russian general. So the, 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 main act, the main objective of the Russians is the demilitarization of the threat against the population of the Donbass. That's the main objective. That means the destruction of forces that threatens population in the Donbass. That's what they are doing right now in the area of Bakhmut, uh, 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 Kramatorsk and Slavyansk and, and this area. That's what they, they aim and that's what they do. They didn't plan to occupy Ukraine. 
to seize territory in Ukraine, to destroy Ukraine, to destroy or to uh, provoke a regime change in Ukraine. They never said that. These were object our objectives that were defined with quotation marks in, in, in the West, but the, the Russians never said so and never made any effort to do so. And in fact, the, the Russians are very happy with Zelensky or were very happy with Zelensky. Remember that Zelensky was the one who was elected with the idea of having a negotiation and an agreement with the Russians. So that's why the Russians basically had nothing against Zelensky itself. The problem is that you have extreme right-wing forces within Ukraine that threatened physically Zelensky if he would have a deal with, with uh, uh, the Russians. And you have the collective West, as we say, that in fact pressed uh, Zelensky not to negotiate with, with Russia because the, the ultimate goal of this whole affair is in fact what we have, uh, we can see described in those uh, publication of the Rand Corporation of uh, 2019, which is uh, unbalancing Russia or overextending Russia, or com uh, I don't remember, I don't have exactly the, the titles in mind, yeah, but there are two, two publications of the Rand Corporation. And that's exactly, by the way, if you, if you read what you have in those uh, publications, you have exactly the description of what is going on right now, including the, um, the, the, the problem between uh, Azerbaijan and Armenia, um, the uh, inclusion of uh, Finland and Sweden into NATO, everything is there, everything is there. So the, the, the very idea of, of, of the, 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 let's say the US objective uh, since at least uh, 2019 is to isolate Russia and to, 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 to isolate Russia from the international community. And so that's, that's what they, they are doing. They're just misusing Ukraine to that, to that aim. So looking ahead, do you see this war continuing through the winter time? And if so, what is Europe facing uh, already? There is talk of energy rationing. Uh, people are complaining of, high energy bills. What is the uh, long-term uh, forecast for this war? <laughs> well, I have to confess, I don't have a crystal ball. So uh, it will be hard for me to, to, to say exactly what will happen. But there are seven factors that uh, um, may come into the answer. The first one is what we have mentioned before. Uh, what do the what do we intend under the uh, let's say independence of these oblasts uh, is that the oblasts as they are occupied now or is that the, the the whole oblast including the territories which are still under control of ukraine meaning that if it's if if uh, we are talking about the whole uh, oblasts that means that the Russian coalition plans or has in mind to conquer the rest of these oblasts. And that means that there are still uh, a lot of fighting ahead uh, if, we, if we go that way. If the referendums concern only the current occupied areas of these uh, uh, oblasts, we may expect that at certain point, the front line will stabilize at their more or less current situation. And that opens the possibility of having kind of discussion or negotiation, I don't know. The, an important thing is that I think that if the population of these oblasts decides to be independent or to join Russia. I think there is no way in, in any, under any circumstances that these 
region will return to Ukraine, regardless of who is uh, uh, in, in, in charge in Ukraine, in Kiev, who is in charge in, in Moscow, or things like this, because these uh, populations have suffered under the Kiev rule, and now they are they have the opportunity to be at least independent, maybe uh, uh, under Russia, meaning that they will not return to Ukraine. And I think nobody will even try to bring those uh, uh, republic or oblasts into Ukraine, I think. So that's, that's a very important thing to, to have in mind. The second aspect is, uh, is the behavior of the collective West, uh, as we say. And this behavior depends very much on the social and economic situation Europe will face in the coming months. Um, there are already some institutes, uh, uh, strategic uh, intelligence institute that have uh, noted that in the last three months, the number of social unrests in the West has increased by 42%. And that means that we may expect in the coming, uh, uh, in the coming month, even more uh, social unrest. Uh, we, we haven't heard much about this unrest because the, the media is absolutely silent. It's very interesting to see that in the, the Netherlands, for instance, you had um, the, the farmers have demonstrated for months, for months in, 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 the, in the country. Uh, you had very uh, uh, strong encounters between those farmers and the police, even uh, 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 live shooting against against them. So it was, it was very, very brutal, uh, but no, no mainstream media mentioned that. Um, I'm living in Belgium, just, just next door of the Netherlands. At no moment, the Western, the, the, the media here in Belgium have even mentioned once these demonstrations in the Netherlands, mm -hmm. although they have almost blocked the whole country. We had also such uh, demonstrations in Italy. And if we have now this uh, change of government, I mean, uh, and maybe, maybe we don't know, uh, uh, the uh, upcoming of the right, the extreme right-wing party, which is not a good sign by the way, but that's, that's a consequence. It's also a consequence of these unrests that you had uh, early uh, uh, this year uh, or during the summer in Italy. So, uh, and we have seen also, the, we see the problem in the UK. We, we, we have seen the problem in Estonia, we've seen the Bulgaria. Uh, we, so we, there are probably very difficult times on the social uh, in, in the social uh, area in in uh, in Europe, and that may affect the way the the Europeans consider their behavior in in the conflict. Although Ursula von der Leyen, the president of the European Commission, recently said in a press conference that there will be no appeasement. No appeasement. So that means they will. They, they, uh, she she strives to go ahead with a, a policy of no negotiation with Russia, and a, a very intransigent position against against Russia. The problem, in my view, of that is whether or not we want to discuss Russia is one thing, but the problem is that the Ukrainians will pay the price for that. That, and and in different ways, uh, obviously in in lives because, um, of course, in our media we mention always the um, the figures. I mean, in 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 France, Belgium, Switzerland, French speaking uh, media, all the information we have about the Ukraine. I can say all hundred percent of the information that comes in the mainstream media comes from Ukrainian propaganda. I mean, the figures, the number of casualties, fatalities, uh, incidents, everything. 
Um, although in in the English speaking world, obviously most people is also against Russia. You still have a little bit more nuance in the in the. Uh, well, it's more diverse. We have not it's just more Ukrainian, diverse, but but it, even we even have not mainstream. just we have not just Ukrainian propaganda. We also have U.S. government propaganda. So we I have know. Yeah. exactly <laughs> that. No, no, that's that's true. And 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 of course, in the U.S., in addition to that, you have the the midterms uh, election that that affect a little bit the way we want to portray the current uh, uh, foreign policy of the president. So that affect also the, the thing. But you just you just read uh, an, an example of of in, in the New York Times of uh, this uh, peace agreement or this almost uh, 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 this attempt to have a peace agreement uh, um, between uh, Ukraine and Russia. That is absolutely not mentioned in any uh, mainstream media in the French speaking media. So that's, that's it's, yeah. I mean, uh, and, and, and so that, that means that what the picture we have in, in, uh, in, in Europe about the conflict is that Russian is losing, that the, the, the uh, human losses are, uh, are Russians, but we never mention the Ukrainian losses. And that therefore, that's why people have no problem instrumentalizing uh, Ukraine, because we don't feel that, we feel that they, they, have, they are from victory to victory and that uh, they, they have no casualties and no fatalities. Um, but the, the reality is, is, very, is very different. And in addition to this problem, you also have an economic problem because all those guys who died on the battlefield and all those guys who emigrated in Europe are currently in Poland, uh, in, in Russia even, or in, in other parts of the, of the world, all these guys will miss uh, we, we are, are missing in the in the Ukrainian economy. That means how can you then have a, a, a productive economy if if you don't have the manpower, the know-how, the people to do the job? And in addition to that, uh, you obviously Ukraine will also be affected by the overall uh, energy, uh, energy uh, uh, crisis, uh, the inflation and, and everything. So meaning that the, the economic prospect for Ukraine is, 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 is extremely uh, uh, sad. And <clears throat> so all that might uh, incite the, the Europeans to have a softer view, and we see already some voice uh, towards in that direction, uh, like uh, Viktor Orban in in Hungary. But again, <laughs> as you see, uh, Viktor Orban uh, uh, suggested to have uh, to improve contact or to with, with with Russia, not to improve contact with Russia. It's not exactly that. He, he suggested to to give up with some sanctions. And and try to ease a little bit of the relationship with with Russia, uh, but the the response from the European Union was uh, he, 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 he will not receive the seven point five billion euros he was supposed to receive for uh, for 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 aid uh, for, for European aid to Hungary. So meaning that for now European the the Europeans are very reluctant to open the door to any discussion. But probably in the coming months with the social, the pressure of the social uh, situation and the, uh, uh, as we see uh, even in the country where I am in, in Belgium. So we may have a change in, in, the, in the near future, but to be honest, I have no idea. The problem is that my feeling is that the Russians have an extremely rational uh, um, uh, 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 conduct of 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 the of the, the whole the whole thing. Um, they this is rational. They have a line. They follow the line, and this is almost predictable if we listen properly. 
if we go on the Western side, especially on the European side, this is totally irrational. We, we are just uh, uh, on the uh, dogmatic approach to the problem. Uh, and, and if we hear, for instance, the German um, foreign minister, Alain, uh, Annalisa Baerbock, who said, I don't care what the, the Germans think about my policy. My aim is to support the Ukrainians. No matter what my German voters think, but I want to deliver to the people of Ukraine. And this is why for me, it's important to be always very frank and clear. And this means every measure I'm taking, I have to be clear that this holds on as long as Ukraine needs me. We are facing now a winter time where we will be challenged as democratic politicians. People will go on the street and say, we cannot pay our energy prices. And I will say, yes, I know, so we help you with social measures. But I don't want to say, okay, then we stop the sanctions against uh, Russia. We will stand with Ukraine, and this means the sanction will stay also in wintertime, even if it gets really tough for po politicians. So uh, this is something that, uh, as a Democrat, uh, uh, or, or people with, with the sense of uh, uh, um, the, 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 the rule of law, and it, you say, what, what, what's going on here? I mean, you are elected by people and you don't care about what they think. You just care about your own objectives. And <clears throat> so that means we are in some kind of irrationality that, uh, that allows everything. And that's why it's very difficult to make any uh, 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 substantive or solid or founded uh, 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 prediction uh, so that's 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 what what I can say. I hope that it will go better than it's it's going. But I'm, to be honest, I'm a little bit disappointed, and I'm a bit pessimistic about the situation because we have people, and we see that in France, especially, it's they don't want to lose face. That means that now they have taken decisions. They have seen that they didn't work. So they are almost, they, they, they are more in an acceleration process rather than in, in the process of saying, okay, good, let's stop. Let's uh, uh, start thinking and start rethink the whole thing. It's absolutely not that. It's, it's, a, it's, it's about, we, we are in a, in, a, in a kind of a, a spiral of, of, of bad decisions, in fact. Jack Bowe, a former Swiss intelligence officer and NATO advisor, author of the book Operation Z, currently out in French, but will be out soon uh, translated into English. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having me in your show. Thank you.